0: We are, today, drawing the curtain on the teaching series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Identity. We've been looking at the life of Moses for for patterns, principles, and practices that we could extract from his experience in the biblical narrative in order to understand our own identity. Just what does it mean that... The creator of the universe, God Almighty, in his infinite, infallible, perfect wisdom, imagined you. That he he created you, He, he knit you together in your mother's womb, and before he knit you together, the Bible says, he already knew you. He already had you, or he had me in mind, and as a result of that, being created in his image he gave us a specific, a unique, once in the history of humanity, identity. He, he gave you a soul that is distinct from every other person, from every other creation he ever created. That is a staggering reality. And it makes sense that sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to figure out what is our identity. Who are we created? Who are we called to be in God's economy? What does that look like? How do we live in that identity? How do we live it out? And so today we're wrapping up this series and we come to the end of Moses' life and there are a couple of incredible, incredibly powerful moments in his life. But before we get to those moments, I think that there's, There's something inherent in every one of us that we we want, whatever it is that we're doing, I don't mean only in terms of life and in terms of you know big picture, huge philosophical things, but whatever we're doing, we want to finish strong. To that end, I want to begin the the message today by, by just making a statement that I hope is not offensive to you. Jogging, you know, running on track or a trail or a treadmill for physical fitness. Jogging is just silly. (laughs) And I know some of you love to do it, and you talk, oh, Mac, you don't understand the endorphins. Great. Knock yourself out. And it may be just because of my experience with running. The only time I ever ran was for basketball conditioning, and it was more like a punishment than it was anything else. And and it may be something more deep-seated that my therapist and I haven't excavated just yet. But anyway, jogging is silly. Unless, unless your daughter calls from college across the country and says, Mom and Dad, I'm in charge of a charity 5K run, and I want y'all to come be a part of the weekend. And it's at that moment that you get on a plane and you lace up your running shoes. Well, Julie and I flew to South Carolina, Charleston, where Emily was in college, and Got there for the weekend and went to the park at the appointed time for the run. And we got there and there were balloons and people running around in t-shirts and a a start line and a finish line and all this kind of stuff. And Emily and I were getting ready to run. And if you'll notice, I didn't say Emily, Julie and I were getting ready to run. (laughs) Julie was the smartest one of all of them. She said, I'll see y'all at the finish line. So Emily and I were getting ready to run and sure enough, the starter's gun goes off and we, we start jogging this 5K. We're trucking along, everything's cool, we're smiling. Hey, (laughs) running, everything's good. And it was fine. I I hadn't trained for it. I didn't do anything, as I said. Jogging is silly. So I don't remember exactly where it was in the run, maybe halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way. It could have been a third of the way. I don't know. I looked at Emily, I go, Emily, my knees are screaming. I'm gonna walk a little bit. She goes, Okay, I'll walk with you. I said, I love you so much. And (laughs) We started walking the course. People would come jogging by us. Y'all okay? Y'all okay? We're like, Oh, yeah, we're good. Shut up. And so <laughs> it was fine. And we walked, and we came to the final turn on the course, and you could see the finish line. It was probably four or 500 yards out. And I looked at Emily, and I said, there is no way I'm walking across this finish line. She was me either. I was like, I'm so proud of you. So we started jogging. And then at about 200 yards, where we saw Julie with the phone taking video of it, we started sprinting. (laughs) And we just came across that finish line with everything we had. Now, admittedly, my motivation to finish strong in that 5K was purely self-interest and the opinion of other people. But I will tell you, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what you have done or where you have been, I think something inside every single one of us says, I don't want to just limp across the finish line. I, I want to I blow through the tape. And it's important that you understand we're not talking about only those who maybe can see the finish line. Maybe those of us who are a little more mature or seasoned. What we're talking about when we talk about finishing strong, it doesn't matter if if you're it, it doesn't matter if you're in middle school or you're middle-aged. It doesn't matter if you're in senior high or you're in the senior home. We are all making choices. We're all making decisions every day that contribute to whether or not we will in fact finish strong. And, and Moses At the end of his life, and what an incredible life he's led. At the end of his life, we come to these signature moments. And if you think about the life of Moses, I mean, he had an incredible run. He was born a slave, orphaned in the River Nile, found by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in royalty. And then a fugitive from justice after committing murder called by God while working for the only person on the planet who would give him a job, his father-in-law. And there, answered the call to lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery. When God told him, raise your staff, the Red Sea parted, and over a million people crossed on dry ground. When they were on the other side of the Red Sea, And there's no food in the desert, by the way. God provides manna, he provides quail. He says, Moses, strike the rock so water will come out and these people will be satisfied of their thirst. On and on and on it goes. And so Moses is at the end of his life and I wanna read to you a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34, we're gonna read one from Deuteronomy 30 in just a second. But in Deuteronomy 34, the nation of Israel under Moses' leadership is about to enter the promised land. They are on the cusp of taking hold of the promise that God had covenanted with Abraham over 500 years before. When he told Abraham and Sarah, You will become a great nation, and I will bless the entire world through you. And Abraham and Sarah looked at each other and went, We're, we're old, we don't have any kids. And God said, yeah, I, I know, I took that into account when I told you, when I made the promise to you, but I, I'm, I'll, t- I'll take care of everything. Now, Israel that started as a holy family, is a holy nation, standing on the brink of the promise, Moses has led them through 40 years of, of wilderness wandering. And I kind of, I, I want to say this just real quickly. I think wandering in the wilderness is a little bit of a misnomer because It implies that they were just kind of aimlessly ambling about, I don't know, should we take a left or right? No, no, no. God used that season in the wilderness to prepare them. When Israel left Egyptian slavery, they weren't ready yet to take hold of the promise. They weren't ready for the battles that would ensue claiming the promises of God. They needed to be strengthened. They needed to be taught. They needed to learn. They needed to grow. And so God used that time in the wilderness and here in Deuteronomy 34, Moses, I'm going to, a little spoiler alert, he's 120 years old. 120. Watch this. Verses one and a, verse one, and then I'm going to skip down to verse seven. The Bible says, then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab, and he climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan. Verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear and he was as strong as ever. Now, if you're scoring at home, Mount Nebo is about 2,330 feet above sea level. And the clear implication from the pastor is that Pisgah Peak is taller than that. And so here's Moses rock climbing at 120 years old. You want to talk about finishing strong. But it it wasn't just finishing strong physically. Even at 120 years old, with all that he had behind him, knowing he was about to die, Moses was still consumed with the purposes of God. He was still laser focused on moving the purposes of God forward in and through Israel in order to be a part of the blessing that God had promised Abraham and Sarah they would be to the whole world. It's a staggering perspective. I, I, listen, if Moses had said, you know what? I would like to have a dinner. I would just like to celebrate the fact that I'm 120. And if y'all could just like pull together some quail and some manna, and let's just kind of talk about the career. I think that would be understandable. But that's not what he did. Now, it's interesting. You'll remember from last week that because Moses had defied God, at another point, God said, Moses, speak to the rock and cause water to come out of it so that the people will be satisfied of their thirst. In that moment, Moses, in his frustration, his anger, he struck the rock twice. It was a different, different moment from the first one. And God said, okay, you defy me. You, you refuse me the honor of being glorified in front of the people, then you will not enter the Holy Land. And that was a a strong consequence for his sin. But even in the consequence, there is grace. God, in this moment, is giving Moses the grace to see the promised land. He, He doesn't have to die wondering. He knows it's there. And not only does he know that it's there, he knows that they will occupy. This is where God's people will settle It's an amazing, amazing picture. His eyesight was clear and he was strong as ever. And in Deuteronomy, there is this amazing final chapter of Moses' life where he is preparing Israel for the promised land, for claiming the promise, but he's also preparing them to live without him. Keep in mind... This generation that is getting ready to occupy the promised land, they have never known life without Moses as their leader. And so he's setting them up for what life will look like when he's no longer there. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, Moses has just finished essentially recapping the covenant, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, all of the the dietary directions, all of the rules for the governance of family and civil society, the the rules for worship in the wilderness and the tent of meeting and the tabernacle, all of these things that God said, this is our covenant together. This is how you live in relationship with me, an unholy people with a holy God. These are the rules and these are the, the rituals that will point you to me, that will cause you to remember me. But then look at what Moses says to him. I love this passage, Deuteronomy 30. I'm going to read 11 through 14 and then skip down to 19. This is what Moses said. He said, this command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you. And it is not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, well, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It's not kept kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, Who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey? No, this message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it's in your heart so that you can obey it. Verse 19, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. I mean, that, it just, he sounds like a grandfather, doesn't he? he? He sounds like somebody who, he just wants the best for his kids. He's like, please choose life. And, and I think in this soliloquy, in this, this final swan song, Moses is showing us something about finishing strong that we can use no matter where we are in life. And it's this. A-B-C. Always be covenanting. Always be covenanting. Now, if you're new around here, we love to make up words. But I think you understand the point. Always be covenanting. Moses was so consumed with the covenant of God and his people. At the end of his life, he was able to step back, and he wanted, I want you to remember everything that we've been through together, everything that you have seen done. It's about the covenant. It's about relationship with God. It's about the covenant. It's about the covenant. In 1991, President George H.W. Bush was just coming off an incredible, incredible victory. He had coalesced, recruited, and galvanized a worldwide coalition that had driven Iraq out of Kuwait, restored Kuwaiti's independence, and then left. And he was experiencing incredible, incredible popularity. He had a political headwind of approval ratings in the 90 percentiles as he was entering an election year. But about the same time, there was a guy from Louisiana who was helping a guy from Arkansas who wanted President Bush's job. And the guy from Louisiana identified some of the leading economic indicators and and could tell that we were kind of teetering on the edge of a recession. And so James Carville, had signs printed up and hung in every single Clinton campaign headquarters that ever opened anywhere. They just said simply, it's the economy, stupid. That was their message. If somebody asked them about national defense, it was about the economy. If they asked about Supreme Court judges, it was about the economy. If they asked about Clinton's record in Arkansas, it was about the economy. The economy, the economy, the economy. And it was that Singular focus, that laser-like attention to the economy that won Bill Clinton the White House in 1992. What if you and I were so focused on the purposes of God in our lives and in this world that it became the grid through which we answered every single question? What if we were so focused on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that that became our true north, the the guiding light in our lives, that we would be like Moses, always be covenanting, no matter what. No matter what happens around us, always be covenanting. No matter what gets said on the news or on social media, always be covenanting. If you want to Think about, okay, well, that's that's cool, Mac, ABC, always be covenanting. I get it. You made up a word, and you feel good about that. Well, go back to Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? He's already told you what he requires of you. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's how you be covenanting all the time. That's it. In a relationship with Christ, we are called into covenant with God. But it wasn't only Moses setting them up for life without him. He was also preparing his successor, God guy by the name of Joshua. Joshua. And there's, there's this incredible exchange that, that gets used a lot of times around graduation. But I think it's important to understand the context, too. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 through 8. Deuteronomy 31, then Moses called for Joshua and as all Israel watched, he said to him, be strong and courageous for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So yeah, always be covenanting. But number two, make sure you encourage those who follow. Make sure that you encourage those who follow you, those who come behind you. And and by the way, you don't have to be Moses or Joshua or a president or a pastor or anything else. You're a leader. By virtue of the fact that you have breath, God has given you influence that he expects you to use. So yeah, always be covenanting, but man, encourage the people who follow you. Now Joshua had seen a lot by this point. Just just by way of review, look at where we first meet Joshua. Joshua gets introduced to us in Exodus 33, verse 11. The Bible says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Isn't that amazing? Here's this guy who's gonna lead millions of people to claim their divine destiny. And he started out as an altar boy. He started out just, he was an acolyte. He was just in the tent of meeting there helping Moses. He was Moses' PA. And later on, we know that Joshua led troops in battle. We know that Joshua was one of two spies who came back from the promised land with a positive, encouraging report. Ten spies said, we can't go in there. We're grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb said, the Lord goes before us. Let's go. And yet, even with all of that that Joshua had seen, Moses knew as he handed the keys to him, he's like, it's fixing to get real for you. This... This is something you ain't never seen before, Hals. So be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Choose not to be discouraged. Be encouraged. I thought this week how desperately, and I don't use that word lightly, how desperately our younger generation needs to be encouraged when you see the kind of evil headlines talked about, screamed about, posted about, we have to remember. We have to remember that we do in fact know who wins the game. We do in fact know what happens. Because of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, That that means he wins. He has already established the victory. Death, defeated. Sin, subdued. Absolutely and eternally. But we're not there yet. And so we're in this in-between time. You could say that we're kind of living in a wilderness season as well. And it's in the wilderness that we have to remember. We have to remember There is, in fact, a promised land. There is, in fact, a covenant relationship with God that he's called us into. And in that promised land, everything, everything that is wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be addressed and called to account. Everyone. You don't have to worry about who did this or who did that or this atrocity. God, God says, trust me when I tell you, I'll take care of all of it. And the fact of the empty tomb is the seal of his guarantee. And so Moses is saying to Joshua here, be strong, be of courage. Stand up and make a difference Be a part of the solution. And Moses' finishing strong has a ripple effect that, that reaches down to us. I think it's really perfectly highlighted in Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three says that Moses was certainly faithful in God's house As a servant, his work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Don't quit. Wherever you are in this moment, please, please, please don't quit. Christ is in charge, and he rose from the dead. Moses saw God part the Red Sea. Tell me what it is in your life that he can't handle, that he won't come into and help you with. We hold on to this courage. We hold on to our hope that we have in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? In this moment, I want to show you something that happened a few times throughout this message. We talked about covenanting, we talked about encouraging, we talked about hope, but in every single instance, we used that that little phrase, in Christ. In Christ. See, Jesus invites us into himself, into a relationship with him. And I wonder in this moment if you have never responded to that invitation, you've never definitively and personally for yourself just said, yes, if this might be that moment. If maybe this is the opportunity and the moment that God has brought you to, in order to begin a relationship with him. If that's you, then we want to invite you just to pray. You may be in the room, you may be online, but pray. Just silently talk to God from your heart to his and say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. And I claim your forgiveness, your grace and your truth. And Lord, in exchange for your life given for me, I will give you my life. I will follow you with everything I have. I pray this prayer, Lord, in your name. If that was your prayer, then as a family of faith, as a church, we would love to, to help with what's next. Because the fact is, that's just the beginning of living in a relationship with him, living in that hope and that courage. And so if you would, just do a couple of things, just very, very briefly, but please do them. Number one, let us know that you made that decision. You can use the QR card that's in the seat back in front of you. If you're watching online, there's a place for you to indicate I made that decision. And that QR card, just once you fill it out or you can use your camera to use the QR code and let us know that you made that decision, all that does is start a dialogue, a conversation that proceeds at whatever pace works for you. And then the second thing, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just another moment, would you raise your hand? If that was your prayer today and you meant it, would you raise your hand and just hold it up high? And just know that as a family, as a church, we honor that. We celebrate it with you. And as you go ahead and put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome